Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Amanda, did you know that Chick-fil-A's only open on weekends and not school nights? <laughs> <laughs> when she said that, I was dying. It was the sweetest thing. Let's oh, my god! Backstory. So we picked up our little cousin from school yesterday, and we surprised her. And, you know, we asked, do you guys want to go get a treat? And her brother said, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> He's four. Then she, he said, like, Chick-fil-A. And she said, Chick-fil-A is only open on the weekends. <laughs> She's like, Chick-fil-A is not open on school nights or she was like, it was, there were so many nights that it's just specifically not open, but mm-hmm. it is open on weekends. Which means their parents don't want to go to Chick-fil-A <laughs> every single night of the week. Also, she asks her brother, does your school have a nurse? Oh, yeah. And he goes, no. And she goes, I do. Mine does. Mine does. <laughs> Good flex. Amanda goes, that was a weird flex. <laughs> I died. So. Um, let's get to some true crime yeah. shit. Dude. By the way, I'm Amanda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good call. I'm Marielle. This is the Women of Death Row. And if you're listening, thank you. Thank you so fucking much. Thanks it's for- so wild. I can't believe people are actually tuning into us. Right. Woo! Download. We have a new Facebook group, The Women of All. I'm sorry. The <laughs> Women of Death Row, all one word. Find us there. Yeah, I don't know why it's all one word. Facebook tricked me when I was making that username. It doesn't seem to be a problem because no. people are liking it. Yeah. And then find us on Instagram, The Women of Death Row. Our website, womenofdeathrowpodcast.com. Yes. And then Twitter. We should probably make a Twitter. I know. I, we should. So, Troom Crime News. What's his fucking name? The guy that killed his family in Colorado. Oh, yeah. The, with two daughters and the wife. Pregnant wife. Chris Chris something. Chris Watts. Mm-hmm. A judge ordered him to pay $6 million to his wife's family. Woo, which he will never be able to do. No. But so, in that news, that fucking psychopath. Also... I sent this text to you last night, but Kevin Crane is fucking ugly, and I fucking hate him, and I hate... He was the prosecutor, now a judge, in Missouri Circuit Court that put... Ryan Ryan, Ferguson behind jail. That whole trial, I literally was watching that last night, like, my face was just puzzled. You can't comprehend it because it's so... Corrupt. Yeah. There was so much fucking corruption. And then at the retrial with Queen Kathleen Zellner, and they're asking him questions, and he's giving contradicting body language. Whenever he's saying no, he's nodding his head yes. And whenever he's saying yes to something, he's shaking his head no. And it's so fucking obvious. Because he's busted, and he doesn't know what to do. So he's fucking ugly. Kevin Crane, I fucking hate you. Fuck you, Fuck Kevin you. Crane. And all those other fuckers who just were sitting there like, oh, yeah, that's our guy, and didn't indict him. That's a federal fucking crime. 
And they're not. Withholding evidence. That's yeah. a Brady, Brady violation. He should be in fucking prison. But he's now he's a judge. It's disgusting. <laughs> Think about yeah, that. Yeah, and on trial, they're like, you want us to call you Judge Crane? Well, we'll call you that because that's what you are. And it's like, I don't know. I think you missed a spot on his ass. Maybe kiss a little <laughs> more, you fuckers. God. The other true crime news. I think that's also why we don't talk about men. They're just so fucking infuriating. Infuriating. <laughs> that it's, it's just fucking it's scary. It's just like, man, just admit it. You fucked up. Mm-hmm. But no. You done goofed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and at the end, they're like, Ryan moved to Florida. I'm like, oh, I don't blame you, dude, but Florida? Florida? Of all places? I don't know, man. I might have gone somewhere a little more liberal that does not have the death penalty or, well, you know, all that, whatever. Okay. But even if you go to, like, California, they still have the death penalty. Right. I think they're less likely to sentence you to death. And I'm only thinking of that because I'm literally just finished The Stranger Beside Me. Oh. Which... Obviously, like I know, I knew about Ted Bundy. I could name maybe three of his victims, which is so sad. And I remember he escaped. But I didn't realize he escaped twice. twice. And the second time is when he went and attacked those girls at Chi Omega and yeah. the woman who lived alone and the little girl. Like he mm-hmm. and like to me, those murders in that one night were enough. That was enough to make him, like, a brutal serial killer that we will remember for the end of time. But that was just something he did when he escaped from prison. 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 so brutal. Like, he just grabbed a fucking log, went through the Chi Omega house, attacked four girls, killing two. Well, and I think that was a big theme in the whole Ted Bundy phenomenon, because it actually was, like, more of a phenomenon. He was able to, like charm his way to give himself less security yeah he was left alone in an office with windows accessible and he jumped out yeah escaping prison like another thing is like when when victims before they even knew of a ted the victims would say he had dark eyes ted has blue eyes so it was almost like when he would be in that evil attack murderous mode it was like he was a different like his face changed, his eyes went dark. It was just yeah. a totally different. Oh, and, yeah. And people who even didn't know, like a, a waitress who served him in Florida, she was like, he just had a cold air about him. And people always just talked about how his energy was just evil. And the girls at the Chi Omega house, God, it's all just fresh in my head because yeah. I just finished it last night. And the girls were like, some of the girls who got up in the middle of the night while he was attacking other girls, they said, for some reason, like one girl wanted to go get some water, but she like started shaking and something stopped her. And so she just slid back in her room, t- locked her door. Another girl was going to go downstairs for some reason. She just for some reason couldn't go down the stairs. So she, same thing, like trembling, went back to her room. It's like his, just an evil presence. Mm-hmm. And you're like humans. We, we need to be more intuitive of like our gut because yeah. that's an instinct that is not going to go away, but you got to listen to it. Yeah. And it goes back to, like, our old fucking lizard brain shit. Like, well, it goes, it's we the were... very back of your brain. Yeah. In the back of your brain, you have, and if you open up your brain, it's like you have your amygdala, your hippocampus, your corpus callosum, all of that is in there. And that's all, like, the primal emotional stuff in there. Yeah. And that what is what gets turned on. So, ugh. ugh. Yeah. I haven't read all of Stranger Beside Me. I need to. Yeah, so now. I read it on planes so people don't mess with me. <laughs> 
I just, I mean, obviously that book is very dated. I think if Anne Rowe published that now, I don't think she would get as same. No. You know? It wouldn't probably. Because it was honestly a little problematic towards the end. I was just like, ugh. But honestly, I don't know. If you're friends with a serial killer and you didn't know it, I don't know. But. God. Um, but part of me feels like she had some signs that she didn't, she also didn't listen to. Yeah. Around that time. Well, yeah, because she told the detectives in that second indictment he had, she just mentioned his name. Hmm. So now I'm just like, because now I know all these details, I'm down a Ted Bundy rabbit hole. I think I'm going to listen to the confession tapes tonight because Anaja and I were on the phone yesterday talking about it. And I want to read his wife's book, oh, oh, um, yeah. The Something Night, Phantom Night or Something Night. I don't know. But I know Prince that- something. Prince of the Keep night? talking. I'm going to Google it. Well, and I know that they're doing a documentary that focuses on his wife. And he has a daughter. Yeah, Rose, who now mm-hmm. is in hiding. That mm-hmm. Carol Ann Boone. God. Yeah. Phantom Prince, My yeah. Life with Ted Bundy by Elizabeth Kendall. That's his ex-wife's book. Oh, it was Liz. I was thinking Linda. Yeah. What was her name? Because he only married one lady, right? Mm-hmm. Or did he marry someone, had a daughter, and then... It was... He was dating that girl... Who had a who, daughter. Yeah, so his wife... And she kept calling her Meg in the book, but her real name's Liz. So Liz had a daughter already, and he was married to her. And then he was also two-timing her with this girl, Stephanie, who was the one who he felt inadequate with because she came from, like, a ritzy family. And then there was one more girl that he was, like... So he had a few affairs, and then when he was arrested the last time is when Carol Ann Boone resurfaced and was, gotcha. like, his fangirl, whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah, who had his baby. Yeah. So who's going first? Because um, we do have two we, stories this time. It's confirmed. We have two different stories. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. So today I'll be telling you about Tiffany Nicole Moss. What? No, I'm just kidding. Shut up. <laughs> Tiffany Nicole Moss and the death of 10-year-old Imani Moss. This has some pretty recent 2019 updates. Oh, shit. So buckle up because this one is bizarre. This might be a long episode. (laughs) It's five. My things are five pages, but I'll go through it quick. So Tiffany Nicole Moss is currently the only woman on death row in the state of Georgia, and she could be the third woman in the state to be executed. Oh, shit. She was sentenced to death on April 29th, 2019, for the 2013 murder of her 10-year-old stepdaughter, Imani Moss. Tiffany Moss, get this, she refused counsel. Oh, God. And chose to represent herself. Oh, God. And what's her background professionally? Pre-kindergarten teacher. Oh, girl. (laughs) Told ya. (laughs) So, in November 2013, the body of Imani Moss was found burned and stuffed into a trash can outside the apartment complex where she lived with her father, Iman Moss, stepmother Tiffany Moss, and two younger siblings, Tristan and Emma. So, Tristan and Emma are her half-siblings, Iman and Tiffany's kids. They don't share anything about Imani's mom. I couldn't find anything about her mom. So, Mm. dad had custody. When her body was found, Imani weighed only 30 pounds. It was determined via autopsy that Imani had been starved to death. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Iman and Tiffany attempted to burn Imani's body in an attempt to cover up the crime. 
So now I'm going to go into Iman's testimony. So Iman Moss signed a plea deal in 2015 for the death of Imani. He was sentenced to life without parole. He testified uh, against Tiffany. So DA Danny Porter questioned him. He testified that he met Tiffany at church in 2010. And at that time, Tiffany was working as a pre-K teacher. Iman testified that everything was great until Tiffany was accused of abusing Imani. He testifies one day in 2010 when Iman was at work. He got a call from a detective asking Iman to come to the police station where they lived. I think it was, shit, which county was it? Gwinnett County. It was at that time he learned that Tiffany was being charged with child abuse. He stated in 2010, Tiffany spanked Imani. She had whips all up her back, her legs, a belt whip. <sighs> yeah. Tiffany took a plea deal at that time in the child abuse case and got probation. Wow. Mm -hmm. As a result of this case, Tiffany could no longer work as a pre-K teacher and should couldn't work with children. Thank God. What the fuck was she doing being a preschool teacher anyway? Yeah. Fucking. So this might be a statewide thing, but me, since I work with vulnerable populations, you get your fingerprints taken when you start the job and every three months you get checked for this registry. So I'm assuming Georgia has something similar where yeah. she's now part of that registry, so she can never work with children or vulnerable populations again. Good. So Iman testified that after this child abuse case, things between Imani and Tiffany worsened. He described it as like a love-hate relationship. And what it seemed to me is that Tiffany was blaming Imani from the loss of her job, which in resulted in like the increased severity of abuse. Really, yeah. bitch? Mm -hmm. it's, it's her fault that you abused her? Yeah. You're a fucking grown-ass woman. She was 36 at the time, I think. Well, she's 36 now, so she would have been, like, 33 at the time. So, as a result of the child abuse case, the court ordered Imani to live with her paternal grandmother for six months, while Iman and Tiffany attended parenting classes, <laughs> where they learned, quote-unquote, appropriate techniques for disciplining a child. I just want to say that children do not deserve to be disciplined. Yeah. They, If a child is doing something, it... Their teaching moments yeah. is what it is. Yeah. They they don't know any better. They are new human beings mm -hmm. learning the ways of being a human. Yep. It's all teaching moments. Yeah. So when Amani was finally able to return to her dad and Tiffany's home, Iman, her dad, testified that she seemed really happy and that she was eating. Mm. Iman testified that the family moved around a lot, and they eventually settled in an apartment where Imani eventually died. He testified that in order to live in that apartment, he had to work two jobs, long hours, and was really not home often except for a few hours a day and on the weekends, which meant Tiffany stayed home and took care of Imani and the two other kiddos. Mm. While he was working, Iman testified that he would get texts from Tiffany complaining about Imani's behavior. He testified that Tiffany would text him that Imani would defecate and smear it all over the walls and put it in her food, hmm. which he said that he believed her, but he didn't do anything because he didn't know what to do. He wanted to believe her. But I mean, I watched his testimony and he just seemed very slow. Yeah. For lack of a better word, he was slow. So Iman also testified that he never saw any physical evidence of abuse by Tiffany. And how I interpret that is that he never saw the physical abuse himself. But, you know, he did say that he saw the marks on her mm -hmm. when that abuse case happened. 
So he also noticed that Imani had a growth spurt and he was noticing and he was noticing that she was getting really thin. While he was home on the weekends, though, he's testified he was in charge of the kids while Tiffany spent time with family and friends. And he noticed that Imani would eat a lot. He said, quote, actually on the weekends she would gorge. Ugh. DA Danny Porter began questioning Iman about October 24th, 2013, which was the day Imani died. Warning, I don't go into detail, but it's still, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Iman testified when he came home from his first job in the early evening, Tiffany had told him something was wrong with Imani. He said, quote, I go into the bathroom and she's in the tub and she's shaking like she's having a seizure. Mm-hmm. I said, we need to call 911 and take her to the hospital. She was real thin. No one called 911. So, quote, this is from, um, did I state my sources? I'll state them at the end. But I got all of, I think it was 11A News did, like, kept up to date. So I, like, was getting all the information from there. So, quote, the jury was wrapped with attention as Iman told the story of his daughter's death. At times he sighed and seemed on the verge of being upset, but he largely recited the narrative with little or no emotion. Hmm. Iman testified that he moved Imani from the tub to her bed and visited her over the next few days, attempting to feed her with a spoon. However, it was too late. Mm-mm. By October 28th, 2013, Imani had died. Yeah, because if you just feed someone that's been starved regular food, that's just, I feel like that's, well, I don't know exactly medically, but that is not good for them and that can cause, well, I know, heart problems. Yeah, and, other and also was she dehydrated shot. too? Yeah. So when he returned from work that day, he testified that his family seemed normal. Quote, Tristan was running around, Emma was in the pack and play, and Tiffany was watching TV, he testified. When Amon suggested calling the police, Tiffany said they could not call because of her prior child abuse case and that she would lose the kids. Mm, good. Over the next few days, life went on as usual. Amon continued to go to his two jobs. Tiffany continued her regular routine, but the two knew they had to do something with their daughter's body. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amon testified she, being Tiffany, wanted to get rid of, like, bury it. She said, we got to hide it. We got to hide it. We got to be on our criminal mind. It Ugh. being his daughter. So automatically there's some detachment there. Oh, God. When asked why he didn't follow through with his initial instinct to like call 911, he didn't have a good answer. He said, I can't explain it. I guess I was trying to fix something I couldn't fix. So I was trying to save her. Uh... Okay. Like I said, the dude seems slow. I don't know. So Tiffany and Amon eventually decide to uh, quote unquote cremate Imani in an attempt to hide evidence of child abuse. Mm. I read in other articles, like on top of this, that on top of like starvation, it was there was a lot of physical abuse, locking her in a room. So then Iman went to Walmart and bought metal trash can, charcoal, lighter fluid, and trash bags. He went into graphic details during the his testimony, but. The sources, they chose not to disclose any of it. Mm-hmm. So one night, Iman and Tiffany loaded the two other kids in the car and placed the trash can holding Imani's body in the back of the truck. Oh, my God. They drove to a secluded spot and attempted to burn the body. This didn't work, so they put the remains back in the car with the trash can and went home. So get this. <laughs> Iman continued to go to work with his daughter's body in his truck. And then after speaking with a friend of his, he finally calls the police. Oh, my God. Yep. And when he tells Tiffany he called the police, 
She flees the home with their other children in the family vehicle. But before she goes, she takes the trash can with Imani's remains and places it in a grassy area at their apartment complex. Genius. Right? We're dealing with some really top-notch thinkers here. You gotta be on your criminal mind. The police arrive, find Imani's body, and arrest Iman. Tiffany eventually turns herself into a Roswell police officer. And then with that, Iman Moss's story of his daughter's final days is over. So Tiffany Moss chose to represent herself during this case. And according to deathpenaltyinfo.org, Gwinnett County Superior Court Judge George Hutchison said, quote, He had permitted Tiffany Moss to discharge her lawyers and represent herself, even though she had not reviewed the boxes of evidence turned over by the prosecution, produced no list of witnesses, and said she was placing her defense in God's hands. Okay. Also, according to deathpenaltyinfo.org, no Georgia jury has imposed a death sentence since 2014, largely because of the representation provided by the Office of the Capitol Defender. Mm-hmm. So the Office of Ca- the Capitol Defender was um, relegated to standby attorneys, meaning they took a step down and were like, all right, we're just going to be standby attorneys. Uh-huh. When the Judge Hutchison permitted Tiffany to represent herself, despite media reports that the Office of the Capitol Defender motioned an alert about Tiffany's reported brain damage. Oh. So they were like, um, we're still going to be there. This is not going to go well. Yeah. So it's extremely rare that someone represents themselves in a capital murder case. It's like, one, you're extremely narcissistic or extremely dumb. Right. One of the two. Capital defense attorneys even have to like go through a special training and courses to even be considered to be capital defense attorneys. But despite this, it's well within someone's right to refuse counsel. Good so bad. while Tiffany was representing herself, she barely uttered any words and sat emotionless throughout the entire trial. Yeah, she doesn't know what to say. She doesn't know the procedure. <laughs> so she offered no defense, declined to provide opening statement, did not cross-examine Iman or any other witness. Imani's teacher was a witness. She didn't cross-examine her. Did not provide a closing statement. She just sat there. Okay. So she was, like, part of the gallery of her own <laughs> trial. Yep. So according to lawandcrime.com, quote, her standby attorneys were still trying to get involved. They had filed a motion arguing they'd be allowed to represent Moss in the sentencing phase if she's convicted. The judge denied them in a hearing that took place during jury deliberations. He's like, no, I want to see where this goes. (laughs) Well, I kind of go into that. So Tiffany Moss was convicted and sentenced to death for several counts, which include first degree murder, two counts of felony murder, two counts of cruelty to children, and one count of concealing a death. Nothing about desecration of remains? It didn't say that, no. Hmm. So, about Tiffany's brain health, according to 11 Alive News, they uncovered a motion that Tiffany had neuropsychological testing data that showed Tiffany had damage to the premotor and prefrontal regions of the brain, which, according to Dr. Stein, he's a director of the Brain Research Laboratory. He didn't examine Moss, but he kind of explained what that is. When you're talking about, like, the prefrontal and premotor cortex, those are the areas of the brain that, especially when you get into the left hemisphere, They're very much involved with executive functioning, decision-making, and impulse control. Mm. But they don't say how her brain damage supposedly happened or anything. Hmm. The actual results of that neuropsychological testing done on Tiffany are sealed. 
but it does call into question what many prospective jurors were wondering during the trials is if she is fit to represent herself. No, it sounds like she is not competent. She was just stone-faced. I watched all a lot of the footage, and Ooh. I watched them as they read her sentence to her, and she is nothing. So, according to 11 Alive News, quote, the district attorney doesn't want to go through the time and expense of a capital punishment trial and have it all reversed on an appeal. This was explained by Meg Strickler, who's a criminal defense attorney, but she was unrelated to the case. It's the DA's way of saying, let's be extra safe and secure to not have a reversal error because we think this is a big issue. So Tiffany has had psychological and mental testing, and the court found she was fit to act as her own attorney. Hmm. Yep, that's all right. All defendants have. However, this neuropsychological testing could throw those tests into doubt. So... In conclusion, as of August 2019, Tiffany now has a new lawyer and wants a new trial. Josh Moore of the Georgia Capital Defender's Office will represent her in a new trial. They had a hearing on November 15th about it. Josh Moore has not detailed the reasons for requesting a new trial. That'll come later on as the process moves, but they think it'll likely be in February 2020. Oh, The judge will consider the reasons for the new trial and ultimately grant or deny the motion. So there was one piece where she wanted an ex parte. There was something she did not want everyone to know. Mm -hmm. There's actually video of it. And the judge was like, can you give me a hint of, you know, without saying what it is of why you want this ex parte, which means only one party knows something. And um, she was very vague. So... I don't know what it is. She didn't say what it was. No cameras. Cameras didn't catch it because, you know, it's private, ultimately. But I'm wondering if it has to do with either the brain injury or something. Yeah. Because there was something she didn't want them to know. Hmm. I mean, it's just so bizarre, her lack of involvement. She just sat there. She wanted to represent herself, but she just sat there. I mean, could this all have been, like, part of the plan to just sit there, get sentenced to death, and get a new trial? Yeah. But she had that chance all along. I mean, she was adamant about representing herself. She was like, nope, I want to do this. But offered zero defense. Like, even the judge and, like, the prosecution were like, are you sure? Uh, Hello? Bueller? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but that's the story of um, Tiffany Moss and little Amani Moss, 10 years old. Poor baby. Poor baby. And they even interviewed Amon's mom, her grandma that she lived with for a while. And even... It didn't seem like a lot going on up there. So, but Imani's teacher described her as just super compassionate and loving and bright mm. and didn't have any issues with her in school. What uh, did they say anything about their two other kids? No, I'm sure they're in state custody. Yeah. But Jesus. Yeah. Sad news. Well, I've got kind of a wild one. So I basically am just going to recount an episode of snapped um season eight i also got some i because you know they like to sensationalize on those shows so i went to like murderpedia death penalty info and like Mm -hmm. checked like okay is this actually true or is this some crazy shit i gotta state my sources real quick sorry 11alive.com was the primary source deathpenaltyinfo.org ajc.com which is atlanta-based news cnn and lawandcrime.com all right just so people don't come for your ass come for my ass all right, so this is the story of the death of Joe Andriano and 
the trial conviction of his wife, Wendy Andriano. So this takes place in Phoenix, Arizona. Wendy's born October. Wait, why are you making that face? I was yawning. Oh, I thought you were like, oh, my God. I was like, what? What do you know? So Wendy's born. Let me say this the 50th time. August 6th, 1970. Her and Joe grew up like in the same town, but their families didn't know each other. His family was like real. Like they were not thrilled about it. They're like, we don't know this girl. Like, we don't know her family. Like, we're in the same town, but we don't know anything about her. Just like that small, like, kind of, you know. But they got married in 94. So uh, shortly after they got married, Joe had a tumor on his jaw. He went to, he got it a biopsy like four times every time they're like no it's not cancer it's benign and then he went back to a different doctor and they diagnosed him with adenoid cystic carcinoma in 1998 and at that point it was terminal like the x-rays showed it spread like in his lungs and it was just terminal cancer so first he's attempting holistic healing methods that obviously is not going to work for fucking terminal cancer sadly so then he begins chemo in 2000 um, at this point they have a couple children there's financial stress because of all the medical bills and everything yeah. and oh, wendy gets a job at a luxury apartment complex and part of that job she got a three-bedroom apartment so since she's the manager she kind of starts like hosting events it's basically like a it's like a singles hangout for like young professionals kind of like my old apartment yeah <laughs> there's saturday sunday picnics pool parties softball on the weekends and everybody's like you know wendy was this young su- seemingly successful fun outgoing woman where joe preferred taking care of the kids the in-laws even pitched in so the couple could have alone time even though they weren't great fans of uh wendy Joe started losing large amounts of weight, but he was, mm. you know, and he was struggling, but he still was, like, positive and upbeat. And then people start noticing that Wendy seems more stressed and less optimistic. But oh. the doctors were like, dude, your cancer is growing slow. You'll still have, you know, a lot of life, and, you know, several years of life, blah, blah, blah. Spend time with your family, your kids, go on vacations, whatever. They're like, let's go to Disneyland and all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then... October 8th, 2000, in Maricopa County, Arizona. Just after 2 a.m., Wendy calls a friend in their complex for child care because she says she has to get Joe to the hospital. The neighbor said when she went into the apartment, Joe was barely conscious. He was in the fetal position on the floor wearing only shorts, and he was, like, surrounded by vomit. God. So then... Wendy confides in this neighbor. She's like, I haven't called 911. And she's telling this lady, like, he's emotionally abusive, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, Mm -hmm. by 2.30, this neighbor's, like, pressing Wendy, like, you need to call paramedics. You need to get help for your husband. Like, he's dying. So she calls 911. The friend goes out to help guide the emergency crews in. And then Wendy comes out, and she's, like, refusing the friend to come back in. She refused emergency responders to come back in. And she's like... Joe is do not resuscitate. We're not going to try to whatever the fuck. So you can leave. So she sent away their friend and she sent away their first responders and then went back in. Her kids are asleep. Joe's still in the fetal position. And then 3.30 a.m. So like just an hour later, she calls 911 again, claiming that Joe's dead. 
but it was not his cancer that killed him. So they didn't ask <coughs> for a DNR when they went in there? No, she just said, he's a DNR, whatever. Like, they just like, okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. So, 3.30 a.m., she's like, he's dead. And, but she's telling the 911 operator, like, he flipped out on me. He was questioning me about affairs. And he came to attack me. And I hit him. Blah, blah, blah. And the emergency responders arrive. And they said that it's bloody scene as soon as you walk in the door it's obvious there was a violent struggle there's blood in the living room in the kitchen dining room blood spatter everywhere on the ceilings and like their kids were asleep what the fuck and there were even like damage in their bedroom and blood everywhere so joe was then in the middle of the scene in the living room dead on the floor he was covered in blood with a knife wound to his neck and detectives were like, it was in complete disarray. There was a broken bar stool covered in blood. And there was some damage to furniture in the master bedroom. So barely an hour after saying he's dying, suddenly he becomes this violent assailant. Wow. He was struck more than 20 times with the bar stool. And there were traces of a sodium aside in his system. <gasps> so police began interrogating Wendy. Detectives said that Wendy told them they had went to visit Joe's family in Casa Grande earlier that evening, and Joe's family members said that he was just on the couch the whole time. We all took turns, like, giving him food, blankets, you know, mm -hmm. just trying to take care of him. And then Wendy claimed that when they returned home, Joe noticed that she wasn't wearing a ring, so he lost his temper and he had always had, like, suspicions of affair. Once Joe had called her phone and a man answered and was like, don't worry, like, we were taking care of your wife, blah, blah, blah. So she claimed that Joe uh, grabbed a belt and went to attack her. She grabbed the stool and that fight began. And then she said, so that's when she called the friend and that's why he was on the floor when the friend arrived. She said that he returned to his feet after the friend left and then they started fighting again and he supposedly strangled her with a telephone cord. She broke free and I guess the first thing she could grab was a knife and she said Joe approached her. They were both standing facing off and then suddenly he fell forward onto the knife. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Wendy barely had any injuries, like nothing matched the no crime scene. No defense or anything? Yeah. So... The police are investigating. They're canvassing the apartment complex. According to this friend, the bar still was intact and there was no blood in the apartment when she was in there. So bullshit that they were fighting before. And Wendy made a call, not to check on her children, but she called this co-worker and was like, hey, I need you to hide some paperwork and some letters for me. So she's arrested and charged with second degree murder. Hmm. Motive is obviously affairs, money. I don't know. Question mark. So, I wonder what life insurance he had. I'm about to tell you. So evidence was brought up about how Wendy had tried to instate a life insurance policy on there her terminally go. ill husband, and there was also a potential to yield twenty million from a medical malpractice lawsuit filed against Joe's doctors, the who kept that misdiagnosing kept telling him. him he didn't have cancer. Yes, and then the police got a warrant to search her computer and. She was researching how to get away with murder and poison and all this wow. dumb shit. And they found a shipping invoice for sodium azide, which is an airbag repellent that <gasps> is, like, super toxic. 
she had created a fake business license and like got like an exacto knife and like took the letterhead of the apartment and like fixed it to make this fake business and then had it shipped to an actual address but then she like went to this other place she was like oh hey they said a package for me got delivered here i need to pick it up and they're like oh yeah here it is so da 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 the detectives went back to the apartment they tested all the food and prepared food in the house and they even like there was a pot of beef stew on the stove that was like his last meal so they grabbed some of that for testing but there was no trace of the actual poison in the apartment but they were like oh she has a storage unit so they go in there with biohazard suits and breathing masks and everything and they're like but it just looked like a regular family storage unit just random old toys and shit but then they found some boxes that were all nested together and in it was like another little box wrapped in foil with a measuring spoon. Oh. Uh-huh. Like a kitchen measuring spoon. And the autopsy showed that Joe had poison in his system. So now it's like, okay, you premeditated this and murdered him. The poison was not what killed him. It was the bludgeoning and the mm. knife that killed him. Ugh. So basically, Wendy was just fucking impatient with his cancer and she thought that the poison was going to be like instantaneous death and it wasn't it was just like a slow death and so now he went from being able to function and help with the kids to she's poisoned him and he can't even take care of himself so she's even more annoyed and impatient so she starts improvising she panics she murders him just fucking heartless fucking evil selfish fucking windy those poor kids god and they were in the apartment you're beating someone with a bar stool and stab them. Like, you're fighting all over the house. They heard it. You're in an apartment. Unless she drugged them, gave them some Dimetap or something. Oh, shit. Oh. Mm-hmm. You are you got your criminal mind. <laughs> <laughs> got my criminal mind. <laughs> oh. So, October 18th, a Maricopa County grand jury indicted Wendy for the murder of her husband, Joe Andriano. They postponed the trial 14, uh, 14 times, Jesus. four times. And then on September 9th, 2004, Wendy shows up in court. So originally, like, you know, before his death, she was this blonde, young mother who looked, you know, vibrant, whatever. But in court, she they were like, she showed up looking like a librarian with some long, dark hair, glasses. Oh, my God. Just very conservative, marmy-looking. And the defense team is like, she's a victim of abuse, which, of course, flabbergasts his family. And then the prosecution was like, uh, no, she's having affairs. She was impatient with his death. She just wanted to live her life and party. They even went and interviewed a couple of her boyfriends, like her side relationships. And this guy, Rick Freeland, was like, I didn't know she was married. She didn't act married. She didn't have a ring. Like, there was nothing about this woman that made me think she was married. And then once he found out about Joe, he broke up with her. And then another boyfriend saw the, a picture of her and Joe, and she was like, oh, that's my late husband. He died. Oh, God. And he was not dead. So she starts putting this plan in motion on October 7th. And Damn. now, before resting their case, a district attorney called the crime lab for the results of the beef stew, and it was positive for the poison. <gasps> so the defense then claimed that there was maybe a suicide pack, and that Wendy said Joe took the poison and then started pleading with her for the truth, and then she admitted the truth of having affairs, and he lashed out. 
on cross-examination, it was like, they realized, like, Joe could barely even fucking stand, let alone fight you. And she was, when she was being cross-examined, they said that she was combative. She was, like... Oh, wait, so she testified? Yeah. She was, like, evasive of their questions and, like, inconsistent with her stories. And then on November 18th, 2004, she's facing potentially the death sentence. And the jury only deliberated for two hours... Uh, damn in tiffany's case it was three yeah it's like if you know it's bad news if they're like oh hey we have a decision oh fuck so it was guilty as charged first degree murder and then at the sentencing hearing she's like oh i'm sorry my bad yeah so the december 20th 2004 wendy is sentenced to death by legal and I said, le- why do I keep doing that? Legal injection. legal injection. It is legal state-sanctioned injection, but it is lethal injection. There was obviously no jubilance in the courtroom. Joe's family was just sad and they were quiet, but they were like, all right, but I guess this is justice. She's the second woman on Arizona's death row. Her young children now don't have a mother or a father, and Joe's family has custody. Wendy's case is still on appeal. Wow. Yep. That's Wendy Andriano. What a class act. What a fucking evil fucking person. Like, you can't just, like, drink some alcohol till he dies. Like, all right, yeah, this sucks. Let me just get drunk and, you know, whatever. Like, there are other ways. Just don't get married. Yeah, what the fuck? (sighs) Just don't get married, people, if you don't want to deal with somebody. It's pretty easy. Yeah. That's prevention. <sighs> Man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anything? Um, I saw a Chuck Palahniuk doppelganger at the gym. Oh. Yeah. Creepy. Well, he I was mean, like a nerd, but like buff. Yeah. It looked just like him. That's so interesting. With the same like black rim glasses and everything. Huh. Oh, there is something I wanted to add about that Ryan Ferguson thing. The Chuck guy, who is the one who originally, the whole reason why they he even went to prison, because he was like... Oh, Erickson? Er- yeah, Chuck Erickson. He reminded me of Henry Lee Lucas. Like, it was like that yeah. same thing where it was like, he was troubled, and they fed him this information, and then it kind of became like, they made him feel important and mm-hmm. groomed him. And they gave him, him the confidence to say what he was him saying. The perfect witness because when you, they put him on the stand for Ryan's case, he's using law enforcement language. He's like he had put his foot on the victim and da da da. It's like that just sounds like jargon that the police told you. Yeah, for sure. Because you're not gonna say the victim. You'll say Keith or the guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're not God. <sighs> All right. Well. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you would like to help support us, you can subscribe, like, rate, review, share. Share it. Download. Yes, download social medias. Social medias. Tag us. Whatever. Whatever. So thank you and be cool. God bless. Be cool, but be... Mary. Vigilant. Oh, yeah. Don't fucking kill people. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.